Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California, Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, everyone. Adult psychiatrist, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi, Aaron. And third year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Good evening, Aaron. You, you got the third year this time. <laughs> I did. I remembered that you're more advanced than I uh, that I had written in my old script for this show. I, I do everything like a robot, Alan. I, I, I think you, you should learn I'm that. I'm now potty now. trained, and you should acknowledge my, my <laughs> potty training. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, on this episode of Let's Get Psyched, we're going to discuss and critique our mental health infrastructure. And to do this, we have the sincerest pleasure of having on the show, Dr. Alan Francis. Dr. Francis is Professor Emeritus and former chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at Duke University School of Medicine. He was chairman of the DSM-4 Task Force and a member of the leadership group for DSM-3 and DSM-3R. He is the author of the award-winning international bestseller, Saving Normal, the reference work, Essentials of Psychiatric Diagnosis, and 2017's Twilight of American Sanity, a psychiatrist analyzes the age of Trump. Dr. Francis, thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Get Psyched. Very much my pleasure to be with you. I, I thought I would start uh, things, uh, ask you the question of, um, you know, you've you've been at the forefront of defining uh, 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 mental health conditions and what's normal, abnormal, but you've decided to turn your attention and focus to mental health infrastructure, what led you, maybe you could say a little bit about what that is and what led you to jumping into the debate about it? Well, I think that there, there's a cruel paradox in the United States. That on the one hand, we overtreat people who have milder psychiatric disorders or really just the everyday worries of life, and they get way too much medicine. On the other hand, people who really need psychiatric help don't have access to it. And that the uh, systematic dismantling of the mental health infrastructure over the last 60 years has resulted in such neglect that we now have 350,000 patients as prisoners. We have 250,000 patients who are homeless. And um, the severely ill died about 20 years early. So we have, I think, in, in, in one way, we're over-treating people who don't need it. And we're shamefully and... and um, very depressingly neglecting the people who actually do. Dr. Francis, I, I like the idea. I, I like the, what you said sounds intuitively uh, very true with kind of the, my experience um, and also kind of a desire to for the it, it's it sounds kind of uh, hardy to have. OK, on the, the upper socioeconomic classes, maybe more coping skills, less medication, and surely the there's a huge sector of society who's not having access to psychiatry. In terms of the upper socioeconomics classes, which I'm assuming is kind of what you're referring to in terms of, or, or maybe just people with higher functioning statuses who are getting too much medication, what metrics or ideas are you using to arrive at the idea that they're getting too much medication? Um, yeah. Well, I think the, the first point to be, be aware of is that most psychiatric medicine is not given by psychiatrists. 80% of pills, psychiatric pills are prescribed by primary care doctors. Uh, that's 90% of benzos, 80% of antidepressants, 60% of stimulants, and 50% of 
of antipsychotics. That most of these medicines are prescribed after a very brief appointment. Um, the diagnoses are made with, with very little knowledge of the patient. The uh, people making the diagnoses and providing the, the pills are often not very interested in psychiatry or well-trained in it. And the patients come already primed, or they used to, with television ads telling them that the psychiatric medicines will, will um, solve their chemical imbalance and make their lives much better. We, we know that the um, amount of prescription has skyrocketed in the last 25 years, and that um, for some conditions, there's very concrete evidence that most of that increase makes no sense. The, the best example is ADHD. The, uh, the strongest predictor of a kid getting a diagnosis of ADHD is his birthday. The youngest kid in the class is almost twice as likely as the oldest kid in the class to get a diagnosis of ADHD and to relieve, uh, receive stimulant medication. Wow. What this means is that we've turned immaturity and classroom chaos into a psychiatric disorder and we're treating it with a stimulant pill. And I think that there's no way to... Uh, justify the fact that uh, something like 4% of the populations on the benzodiazepine, 8% of seniors are on benzodiazepines, despite the fact that they are create confusion, uh, they're very hard to get off, memory problems, and they're a very strong predictor of falls. There's no population in the world who should be getting benzos less than seniors, but 8% of seniors are getting them. So I think that, that we have a massive um, carelessness in psychiatric diagnosis and an overtreatment of uh, people who really should be better treated with watchful waiting, with advice, with normalization, and with psychotherapy. And on the other hand, we have a population of severely ill who can't get any treatment at all and so frequently wind up being dragged to jail because there's no psychiatric facility to care for them, um, spending long periods of time in jail often in solitary confinement. I've been to, to places, prisons, where cell after cell after cell, the um, psychiatric patient has smeared the walls with excrement. And you see this in every cell along a line of cells. That this is an absolute disgrace to our, for our society. And it's a, it's a tremendous and painful, at the end of my career, to realize that for many patients, life is worse now than it was 60 years ago when I began thinking about being a psychiatrist. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of factors that uh, I imagine that led to this, this this current condition. You mentioned a lot of them, uh, the the role that diagnosis has played, uh, maybe if the pharmaceutical industry or maybe the rise of uh, focus on prisons and crime and things like that, and maybe just uh, cutting taxes and just lack of funding. But how do you rank them? How do, there's a lot of factors, but how, how do you assign uh, causal factors to how we arrived at this current state? I think the best way to do it is chronologically, that the initial asylums, and if you haven't visited them, you should, they're, they're beautiful hospitals. The, the uh, buildings that were uh, developed in the, in the um, 19th century for psychiatric patients were gorgeous. The patients had a role because the, the uh, hospitals tended to be self-sustaining. They would have workshops, they would have farms, they took care of animals. And it was a good place to live. Starting around 1900, the um, number of patients increased dramatically. The number of hospital beds didn't. And what, what happened was a tremendous overcrowding. 
So in the 60s, I began working in, in uh, psychiatry, and I worked in three different state hospitals during my residency and early career. And they were the most horrible places you can imagine. Uh, if you want to get a guess, see a movie called The Snake Pit. That was a scandal when it came out in the 50s. The patients, uh, the wards, everything about it smelled of neglect, of despair. Uh, when you put people in a place that's way overcrowded and they're neglected, they get much sicker. So we were seeing patients who looked much sicker than they really were because they were living under such terrible circumstances. With the arrival of the uh, antipsychotics in the 50s and early 60s, there was great promise that patients could be treated in the community. President Kennedy had a, six, a sister who had a lobotomy and uh, his special interest and the uh, disgrace of the hospitals led to the Community Mental Health Center Act in 1963. And I worked in a community mental health center. There was tremendous promise then. Patients were being discharged from these horrible state hospitals to the community. Housing was provided, medication was available, and the community was organized to try to be inclusive of the patients. Didn't work equally well everywhere, but it was a very viable system. And deinstitutionalization promised better lives for patients. Reagan administration 1980 cut the funding for the community mental health centers. And so instead of having a place to go, instead of being in, in these horrible snake pit hospitals, the patients were dumped on the streets. They, um, if they howled in the night, if they stole food from a 7-Eleven, the cop would be called because there was no crisis team. The cop quickly learned that taking a patient to the emergency room was a terrific waste of time because at the end of several hours of waiting, there would be no real disposition, maybe a telephone number to call to get an appointment or an appointment three weeks or a month away. The cops realized that they could save time and get to the same endpoint by just taking the person to jail. Once in jail, the patient would often get into trouble in the confined atmosphere, get into solitary confinement, very long stays. And then the homelessness problem, a combination of economics and lack of treatment has resulted in a tremendous homelessness problem that I don't have to describe to you guys, with about one third of the homeless population being mentally ill and having little or no service available to them. So we have the perfect uh, storm of historical neglect leading to patients being much sicker. When you go to a place that has good psychiatry, patients don't look so sick. The best place in the world to be a patient is Trieste in Italy, where everyone's included in the community. They're seen as citizens. They have beautiful community mental health centers. Families are welcomed. When you visit the place, you can't tell who's a patient, who's a staff member, who's a family member. They have almost no beds, um, almost no involuntary treatment. They, they use medicine, but they don't need as much medicine because the social um, setting is so inclusive and so successful in reducing symptoms. They've developed an entrepreneurial spirit. So they run um, a, the landscaping in Trieste is mostly done by, by patients or former patients. They run, uh, they staff hotels, they staff cafes. It's a kind of miracle to come from LA and see the despair in the prisons and in the, uh, in the jail and in the street in LA and then go to Trieste and see how it can be done well. There is no place, no place in the developed world now where it's worse to be mentally ill than the US. And that's a function of 60 years of neglect of infrastructure. And the shame now is that the uh, Biden efforts, very worthwhile efforts 
to improve the physical and human infrastructure of America are aimed at just about everything you can possibly think of except mental health. That we have this crumbling, dismantled mental health non-system. You can't do this. You can't treat mentally ill people, severely ill people in a privatized system. The private system will always extrude them because they're the most expensive and most difficult patient. So this is a public responsibility but in our country, that public responsibility has been turfed to the private sector largely and therefore isn't being done at all. And the Biden plan is like a once in a generation possible salvation for people who are living under conditions that you, well, maybe you can't imagine because you have been doing this kind of work, but people in the world can't imagine. And the Biden plan has completely ignored it. So, there, yeah, there's a... Um a group, I think out of LA of city officials that traveled to Europe to just tour countries that do homelessness better than we do and that are, have better services for unhoused folks. That's something we care quite a bit about. And we've done a few episodes around the homelessness piece. Um, something that I think is interesting, uh, I actually had a, med, a medical student kind of school me on this was, um, I think there's been a tendency to uh, to blame certain figures, particularly Reagan, for how things have gone. And, and um, I, I found myself doing that. And then I, I like that in your it seems like you have a, a, a more bipartisan view of the blame going on. Um, what do you think was the role of the creation of the mental health centers versus kind of like, and, and I guess the, the, um, the simultaneous getting rid of institutions versus the, oh, they, the funding never actually really became what it was supposed to. Well, I think that there are some people who I respect in the field who think I have too optimistic a view of what the community mental health centers were like. And that, that's likely true because I worked in a good one and when I was invited to visit places, I'd be invited to visit the good places. So I'm not saying that everything was perfect, but certainly the Community Mental Health Center Act was a great hope. And that the uh, end of that act, what Reagan did was take the money that would have gone to support specifically community mental health centers. And he gave that money back to the states, but the states could um, spend it any way they want. And what most states did was to um, cut their contribution over the course of several years to the community mental health center. The community mental health center at that point had a choice. It either went out of business altogether or it privatized. When it privatized, it traded up to the easier patients who were insured, who cost less and who had more um, resources. So the, the, the tragedies, if you wanted to look at the tragedies in the life of mental illness in our country, it would be the overcrowding of the state hospitals starting around 1900. That was the first tragedy. The second tragedy was the beginning of deinstitutionalization without adequate community resources. So people were dumped on the streets. The third tragedy was Reagan cutting the Community Mental Health Centers uh, Act uh, funding. And we're now seeing the fourth tragedy. The fourth tragedy is that we're considering a national effort to improve infrastructure and we're not including the mentally ill. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're here with psychiatrist Dr. Alan Francis, and we're talking about mental health infrastructure. Infrastructure is in the news a great deal. And uh, Dr. Francis, you wrote an article recently, a few days ago, uh, making a lot of a number of points, uh, powerful points. I'd encourage everyone to read that article. I was wondering maybe we could move to what can we do or what can be done specifically as citizens or uh, you know activism or just as a government official. What, what how would you prioritize what's needed the most? Well, I think the, the the biggest need obviously is housing, and the the, the um, it's not just the mentally ill, but a very large percentage of the homeless are mentally ill, and unless we improve housing, it's very difficult to do anything better in terms of treatment. What's needed in terms of treatment is almost everything. At this point, we have almost no infrastructure, so it's almost everything. And what that would be, and by the way, this isn't rocket science. So the countries who do this well, do it well, and it works. And it's also cost effective. So the states are spending a fortune now on prisons. Very large percentage of the prison population is psychiatric patients. If you close the prisons and you allow the money to go to the community with the patients, you would be, you would have available to you funding that's now misappropriated in the direction of the correctional system that should be instead spent in two ways. One, community services. This would include crisis teams, assertive community treatment, um, the efforts to get an appointment in, within a week or less for someone who's got a severe mental illness, it shouldn't be a month or two months. The um, ability to um, divert patients from prison so that they don't get to prison in the first place because they're not a cop. Part of the the cop shootings is the the fact that cops are scared silly. With a population that's heavily armed, with a large uh, segment of mentally ill people who are untreated, the cops go in with a chip on their shoulder and a shoot first, ask questions later attitude. So we could, we could be saving a lot of money on the correctional end if we had bridge funding to allow the states to switch from a prison-oriented system of, of treatment for psychiatric patients to a community psychiatry-oriented approach. The um, need for hospital beds is also acute. So we had way too many beds in the uh, 1950s and 60s, because the patients were staying for life and they didn't, most of them didn't need to be there for life. But we've lost 90% of our psychiatric beds. We had about 600,000 beds 60 years ago, and now we have about 35,000 beds. And so there's also a great shortage of psychiatric beds. And I think that the combination of community treatment, psychiatric beds, crisis team, assertive community treatment, could, could make us equivalent to the Nordic countries, Germany, and, and most of Italy in terms of providing decent care. The model is clear cut. It doesn't require any great genius. It just requires political will and, and a kind of a sense of humanity and public responsibility not to expect the private system of healthcare to take care of people who will always fall in, in the cracks. I, you know, Dr. Francis, you've never shied away from saying controversial things if you believe strongly about them. So I was wondering, uh, maybe I could just shift it a little bit to the idea of like what's going on in our culture, perhaps that, or uh, what social trends have you noticed that have uh, led to us to not prioritize or wanted to ignore folks who have mental health conditions? And 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 you know, in some countries you mentioned in Europe, we're not we're not treating. I folks. think the, the the largest problem is that. 
before industrialization and, and uh, urbanization, the mentally ill were basically taken care of by their family and by their village. And that made certainly not perfect, but it, it gave them a place. And the WHO study that was done about 45 years ago found that the prognosis for someone with severe illness was actually better in many third world countries than in, in first world countries because wow. they had the support of the family, because they had a place in the community. When you take the population, bring them to the cities, get rid of the extended family, have everyone working so there's no one who has time to take care of people who have disabilities, then what are you going to do with the people with disabilities? If you have a high sense of public responsibility, you get the kinds of services you have in much of Europe. If you have an individualistic society where it's um, a question of government is the problem, not the solution, let's do everything we possibly can to cut government services. Um, taxation is an evil. It's not something that's necessary to take care of the most vulnerable in the society. Then you get the mess that we're in now. Mahatma Gandhi has a quote that uh, I think sums it up, that you judge the greatness of a society based on how it's, it treats its weakest members. And we flunk that test terribly, that we're not a great society given how we treat our weakest, most vulnerable people and that we are getting worse and worse as time goes on, because you could say that at the beginning of deinstitutionalization, we didn't know what was going to happen, and it's not completely our fault if we let this mess persist. But now, after 60 years, with all these people in prison, with all these people homeless, knowing that the life expectancy is so short, and we do nothing, and now we have a, a plan to correct infrastructure, and this isn't even mentioned in that plan. It's a striking confluence of terrible advocacy on the part of the mentally ill, that the various professional associations have not been on the ball. NAMI, which is supposed to be the patient advocacy group, has been completely ineffective in, in furthering the interests of, of, of patients and, and family members. And we have a politicians who are interested in who gives them contributions and who's going to be a voting block. The mentally ill are not a voting block. They don't give contributions. And so everything under the sun is being considered as a possibility for infrastructure improvement, except that aspect of American infrastructure that's probably the most lacking. And it used to be you could say, well, people won't notice. But now if you walk out on the streets of L.A., you can't help but notice. And when you know that there's a cop shooting going on, you know, virtually um, a couple of times a day, sometimes in Amer some someplace in America, and a lot of these cop shootings are because the cops are scared silly, you have to notice that the mentally ill are being neglected. But the amazing thing is that we're not noticing and we're not doing anything about it. That kind of brings up a question I wanted to ask you. A lot of the points that you brought up like really resonated with me. I have physician friends who work in Portugal and their entire mental health system is very different. And it is very, the community is very supportive and it's very integrative, which doesn't, I don't see here. And I, to be completely honest, I don't think most of like the American population understand the seriously mentally ill. Like, I think it's something that most like outside of, you know, TV shows like Hannibal Lecter or whatever, they don't have a real understanding outside of like that crazy man talking to himself on the corner. What I'm more interested in is how do you feel like the COVID pandemic is gonna change that? Because what I see is, now there are more 
mentally ill being filtered through the eds they're like homeless like station like outside of venice outside of my apartment there's like encampments of like homeless people that you just give a wide berth to and you know people are angry and it seems like there's more disconnect against the mentally ill now than there was even before the pandemic yeah actually venice i think it was taken down yesterday right the tents were taken down yesterday they've been slowly taken Taking it down, but then they just move. They move a block, and then <laughs> they get, then they get it gets resettled. One of the things that, that really upsets me is that we have constant campaigns about removing stigma of the mentally ill. Fancy, expensive campaigns. The stigma of the mentally ill is that we see them at their worst in this country because they're neglected. So the people who are screaming on the streets, who are you know stealing food who are defecating in front of you know, passers-by wouldn't be like that. This isn't them. This is us neglecting them, bringing out the worst in them, creating the stigma that we then complain about. And it doesn't exist in other places. If you go to other countries that where care is reasonably good, you don't see patients like the patients we see. Oh, We're not seeing the people as they are. We're seeing them as victims of our treatment. Last part about COVID. The uh, people with schizophrenia had a three times normal death rate, normal, funny word. The death rate amongst people with schizophrenia was three times the general population. It was wow. the best predictor of death from COVID other than age. Wow. This is, this is not remarkable because where are the people living? They're living in prisons. They're living on the street. They're living in group homes that are way overcrowded. So COVID doesn't change anything. It just dramatized what we should have known before, that the mentally ill are the um, kind of the, the uh, it's not just neglect, because neglect would mean that they would be at the same level they would otherwise be. Because we force them into such horrible situations, we're making them much sicker than they otherwise need be. And that's, I think, a, a terrible shame on our society. And, and to some degree, I have to accept it's my fault. You have to accept it's yours. That I've been working in this field now for since 1967. And on my watch, things have gotten worse for patients. And you so, have to try to make it better on your watch. I, I appreciate you bringing us to task for that. And I think I, I find uh, your... I think what something I pride myself on in the medical field is our introspection and our willingness to criticize our own. And, and I appreciate that. And I think your criticisms are um, pretty on point. The, the stigma thing is an interesting one for me. I I've done a, a few of my years of mental health work in other countries and found that while I think we are kind of uh, for pushing our, severely mentally ill cases into places where people are really dehumanized and, and um, have no dignity. I also think that stigma does keep a huge percentage of the population from seeking mental health care, particularly in less severe states, and that the stigma campaigns, if they're done well, would be something I would buy into. How do you feel about that kind of uh, balancing of resources between taking care of the mentally ill and trying to decrease stigma to cause mentally ill to, to seek treatment. Yeah, I, I think there's a tremendous misallocation of resources away from the severely ill. So from, from my perspective, the um, like the COVID question again, 
most people's reactions, emotional distress to COVID is normal. It made sense for people to be afraid, to be lonely, to be um, to feel grief when they lose relatives. Um, that's not mental health problem. That's to me a normal reaction to a terrible situation. And I would not want, I would have been much more worried in the COVID situation with not the mental health of the people who are having normal reactions to it, however distressing, but the fact that the schizophrenics were dying like flies and we were not paying any attention to that. So I think that the resources, if we were a just society and we're not, but if we were a just society, the resources would be redistributed in a way that would ensure that the, the people who need them most would be would have access to them. Uh, can I ask you a question, uh, Dr. Francis? You've been um, famous in the news for talking about various individuals, um, most prominently, I guess, Trump. Um, and we on our show have a lot of different opinions about what's going on and um, you know, perspectives on whether we should or could talk about different things like that. Um, and we always come back to this Goldwater rule. Um, with your experience, like what are your thoughts on the Goldwater rule? Goldwater rule made a lot of sense when it was, you probably know the history as well as I do, uh, a survey of psychiatrists saying that Goldwater was mentally unfit to be president, the American Psychiatric Association making it an eth ethical um, question that psychiatrists shouldn't, within their scope of practice, be diagnosing public figures made perfect sense. Um, the people who were diagnosing Trump, saying that he had um, dementia or delusional disorder or um, narcissistic personality disorder, and therefore he should be disqualified under Article 25 of the uh, Constitution, they were just wrong. They were wrong on the diagnosis. They were wrong on the politics. It was never going to happen that he would be disqualified. And he's much better seen as an evil person and a con man than as someone who's mentally ill. And I think it, it does the mentally ill a great disservice to be lumped with Trump, that most of the mentally ill are very good people. They don't cheat. They don't hurt other people. They that's fun. That's refreshing. I, I, I like what you're saying. <laughs> it's not fair to them that we assume that anytime anyone does something bad, that means they're mentally ill. Most serial killers are not mentally ill. Um, most sexual predators are not mentally ill. So I, I just wanted to be clear that the um, the diagnostic system, if anything in the DSM can be misused, it will be misused. And this was one misuse. And politically it was done because it greatly underestimated his power. To say he's crazy missed the point that he was able to drag maybe 50 million people into his weird uh, web of lies and he's still very powerful. We shouldn't underestimate him by saying that this is all a bunch of, of mental illness rather than um, con man behavior. And that's the final word on Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about mental health infrastructure with a psychiatrist, Dr. Alan Francis. Dr. Francis, thank you for joining us. Well, my pleasure and, and good luck in your work and your careers. It's a wonderful profession. And um, the fact that there are such big challenges means that what you do is very important. Never forget that every minute with every patient can be very important in their lives. Thank you. 
And thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, DM Wynn, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com, and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. And if you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Ismail Gonzalez. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.